Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, hey, good morning, church. It has been an incredible first week of summertime, and we know that in celebrating this past week on Memorial Day, as well as kids being out of school, that you guys are everywhere. But I wanted just to take one minute this morning to introduce to you where we are heading this summer. This summer as a church, we are gonna be walking through the book of Ephesians. We're gonna really be just focusing in on the idea of who we are in Christ and for Christ. As individuals and as a church body, God has called us, He has set us apart, He has adopted us into His family, and now He has given us the power to live for Him. Please do everything you can every week to dial in, be here with us in person. If you're traveling, catch us online and go with us through this journey of the book of Ephesians. And let's see what Paul and the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. Thank you. And y'all have a great morning and welcome to the stage. One of our favorite people on the entire planet, Pastor Brian Foster. Well, good morning. Hope all of you had a great morning. Matt was so gracious to uh, let me kick off this series in Ephesians. But I do have to admit that uh, many of you know and have taken my class. I teach a class here on spiritual warfare. And so when they mention Ephesians, I'm thinking, well, Matt's going to ask me to do chapter 6. Putting on the full armor of God. He asked Marty to do that. I don't know what to think of that. But I know when we get to chapter 6 and Marty does it, I'm going to be listening intently to see if he gets it right. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, You'll be listening intently to see if I get it right today uh, in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, if you've ever spent any time with me, you know that uh, my number one thing to talk about and what I love to talk about is our identity in Christ. And Ephesians chapter 1 really has a lot to say to us about uh, our identity in Christ and who we are as children of God. So pray with me as we jump in today. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, be in your house and to worship you and to sing praises to you. And we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. So Lord, would you open our hearts that we might uh, be transformed by you? Would you open our ears that we might hear from you? And Lord, as we Uh, give today to you. May you speak clearly to us through your word, for we know that it is the standard and the truth, not me, but your word. So Lord, may you be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a tale that American Indians tell that there was a brave who went out and he found an eagle egg. And not knowing really what all to do with this eagle egg, he did what most of us might think, how can I protect this till it hatches? So he took this eagle egg and put it in the nest of a turkey. 
And the turkey did what birds do, and it sat on the nest, and soon enough, the um, eaglet hatched, and all the turkeys hatched. And the eagle is sitting there going, hmm, I guess I'm a turkey. And so as he grew up, it learned how to scratch in the dirt. It learned how to peck in the dirt and find its food and all that. It learned how to gobble and strut around and do its little thing like a turkey, although it was an eagle. It would flap its wings furiously and get about three feet off the ground and fly for about 20 feet and plop back down on the ground just like turkeys do because it thought it was a turkey. Because after all, it was born into a turkey nest and it grew up as a turkey and it learned all these things about how to be a turkey. But it wasn't a turkey, it was an eagle. And so one day after they were grown up and they're all out in the fields and the Eaglet looks up and it sees this majestic bird up there with its wings spread out and catching the wind and effortlessly just gliding around. And he asked his friend here, what's that? And he said, oh, that's an eagle. They are the king of all birds. And the little eagle goes, well, I want to do that. And the turkey said, ah, forget it. We're turkeys. You'll never be one of those. And the turkey lived the rest of his life, the eagle lived the rest of his life believing it was a turkey until it died. Great story, huh? <laughs> Is it possible that we live like a turkey, but we're created to be an eagle? I don't know. Look around you. You're sitting around a bunch of turkeys, right? Really, everyone in here should be an eagle. But we live like we're turkeys. And we live out there in a fallen world full of a bunch of turkeys. And some of you have to work with a bunch of turkeys. And some of you play on ball teams with a bunch of turkeys. And it drives you crazy. But that we keep living as though we are a turkey ourselves because we're amongst them all the time when God created you to be an eagle and to soar above it. And when you're around something long enough and you're engaged in it enough, you start taking on its personality and its principles and its actions. And even though you aren't, you act like that. And I propose to you today that many of us today are acting like a turkey even though we are an eagle. And for a lot of different reasons. And so when we read Ephesians chapter 1, we get into all kinds of things. Now I do have to admit to you that as I started studying Ephesians chapter 1 a week or so ago, there is so much in this, we couldn't begin to cover it all. In, in this 14 verses. One of the uh, commentaries I studied and read was uh, from a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the uh, great pastor of um, uh, Westminster Abbey in London. And he pastored there for 40 plus years. And so I started reading his uh, commentary on this section. And guys, he had 311 pages just on these 14 verses. So buckle up, you're going to be here a while. No, just kidding. I'm going to simplify it because I'm a simple-minded person. But there's so much in here and there's so many words that are in these 14 verses that it can get overwhelming. 
And I, being a very simple-minded person, we're going to try to simple it down to you. To what is God really trying to say to us? There is so much in this with some key words that people have written volumes over some of these things. And whole theological uh, spectrums have been built around some of these words. And if you can go down those paths and you can get lost in it. Or we can read it and hear what it is God's trying to teach us in this 14 verses of the first chapter of Ephesians. So let me encourage you, if you've got a copy of God's Word, open it up and let's just read these 14 verses from Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of, the, of God. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first in hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were indeed in Christ, even you heard, even when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, a guaranteed your inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possessions. And to the praise of his glory. Wow, there's so much in that that we could spend a lot of time in it. But I'm going to try to hit some of the high points in it and bring it back to what God's calling us to be and how he's called us to be. I used a little illustration of um, the, the fair of the um, eagle. I also uh, ran across this, just fun fact to know and tell, you know, sometimes you have to jump over here, just give a fun fact. So in reading this, found out that over the last several hundred years, there have been 53 documented cases of people being raised in the wilderness by animals. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I thought, well, they call that a feral child. And they were raised out there. One of the most famous was a guy named 
Denny Sanshira, whatever. Just go with it, right? Um, he's from India. And they found him in uh, 1865 in the woods. Some hunters did, and they brought him in, and he had been raised by wolves. This is where Rudyard Kipling gets his uh, analogy and the story for the Jungle Book and Mowgli. I thought that was a made-up story, but it comes from a real story that there was this guy, and they uh, took him in, they put him in an orphanage, they raised him. He is the most studied document of the 53 feral children that were found over the history. Well, and raising him up, they were able to, uh, they never were able to teach him to speak, but they were able to teach him to wear clothes. They got him to stop walking on all four and walking upright, and um, they, they got him to start eating food that was cooked instead of raw meat and raw vegetables, although they never broke him of sniffing his food before he ate it. But again, one of those things where we are the environment we grew up in, and then how when we put in a new environment, if we're not careful, we take on those as well. Because one of the things he took on in the late 1800s by the people who were around him is that he learned to smoke cigarettes. But obviously the people around him influenced him and he started becoming something that he was never created to be. He was never a wolf and he was never meant to do these things to harm his body, but he did because of the things around him. And you and I live around people that model things and if we're not careful, we will walk out those instead of what the Word of God says. So here in Ephesians, Paul is going to teach us who we are and how we are to live out our life. So <clears throat> Paul says here, he just starts out and says, hey, I'm Paul. I'm the one writing this. And the people knew who Paul was because they knew he used to be the chief of all sinners. He was the one that was out there uh, persecuting Christians. And he was the one out there uh, harming them and, and bringing all kinds of accusations against them. And so he said, hey, yeah, this is me. And the very next says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. A what? An apostle. Wait a minute, weren't you the one that did all these bad things? Said, yeah, but that's the old me. I have been, I am now an apostle. And the word apostle means a called one. Somebody called out from the old to the new. You and I have been called out from the old and new. So many of you might use the word apostle and think in terms of the leadership of the church, uh, like Pastor Matt or some of the others of us who are on uh, staff as apostles. And there is a place to call that. But in this case, the, he has said, I'm a called one just like you. Each one of you is called by God, by the will of God. What is the will of God? How, <clears throat> How many of you today, if I could tell you what the will of God is for your life, would like to know? Most of you go, yeah, yeah, tell me, what's the will for my life? What does God want me to do? I think I can tell you that without a shadow of a doubt what God's will for your life is. But see, we have relegated God's will to I've got to find the pinhead in this room and go sit on it. Like if I told you, all right, God's will is under one of the chairs in this room for you. You need to go find it. You know, I'll jump up and start running around trying to find the chair that has your name on it with God's will for it. But what if that's a bad picture of God's will? What if God's will is huge and you're in it and he tells you not how not to get out of it? 
An example, <clears throat> years ago when Susan and I, my wife, we uh, graduated from seminary and we were looking for our first job out of seminary. We were poor. We needed a job. We needed money. We had to have something. Sent our resumes out. We had five churches offer us a job within a month. And we're sitting there, Lord, what do we do? What do we do? And we're praying and we're making the list and we're checking it. Lord, is this the place? Is this the place? And of those five, we clearly heard, nope, nope, nope. Of those three, we graciously called, thanked them, said, thank you, but we just don't believe God's in it. And we didn't take their job. But we had two jobs that we made every list. We prayed through, Lord, where do we go? What do we do? Lord, show us. You know, we got crickets. But I needed a job. We pray. We, it comes down to the deadline. They need to know, so they're going to go on to somebody else. Are we going to take it? And we can make the progress of moving there. And one was in Nashville and one was on the other side of Atlanta in Conyers, Georgia. We did not hear God say yes or no on either one. There were great things about both of them. But we had to decide. So we chose. We went to Conyers. But here's what God taught us through that. God wasn't as concerned about what the decision was. He was more concerned with how we made the decision. And that we sought him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're obedient. And when he said no, he said, that's outside what I have for you. These are in it. And now all of a sudden, his room is big. And he says, well, you know, if you want to sit back there, that's fine. But if you want to sit over here, that's fine. I will be there and I have you in the will of God. Is now, When God tells you to do something, that's the will of God. But when you've got some big things going on, God lets you pick. And you can still be in the will of God. So like if God's will is here, he says, guys, there's boundaries here to show you where you step outside of my will. There are doors, there are walls. You go outside of those when you've been told to be in here, then you step out of the will. This tells us where the boundaries are. And when we're in obedience to that, there's a big, big room here to play in and be in. Clearly, what's outside of his will, he tells us. And when you step out of that, you step out of it. Now you're going to have to ask for forgiveness and step back in. But God says, because I've called you, it's the will that you be here. It's the will of him that you be here today. You watch online today. It's not an accident. But then, watch this, in the second half of verse 1, he says, who he's writing this to, he says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. Well, first off, I want you to know, and some of your study Bibles may tell you this, the word in Ephesus, in a lot of the early manuscripts, it's not there. It just says, to the saints, the faithful ones. Paul wrote many of his New Testament epistles, he wrote to address a problem that that church or that group of people were having. And so he wrote to that, to address that problem. But in Ephesians, he's writing to the people. He's not addressing a problem. He says, guys, here it is. So it's not, so we could say to the saints. Now, are you a saint? Do you believe you're a saint? Because here's what's happened in our world. If, if I called you a saint, you go, well, yeah, you can say that. But you don't know what I've done. 
You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been through. I wouldn't call me a saint. But God does right here. He calls you a saint. That you are part of him. You're on his team. As a saint. He chose you to be a saint. It's interesting that he uses the word faithful. A follower of Christ. If we were to look up the word faithful in an American heritage or a modern day Noah Webster dictionary, you're going to find some of the same words you would find in most all dictionaries when you start to define a word such as uh, a strict or a thorough in the performance of a duty, true to one's word and your promises, steadfast in allegiance or affections, loyal, reliable, trusted, beloved. Those are all words if you opened up a dictionary now and found what you would find. But I want to show you something different. Do you remember going to school and uh, when you had to look up something, you went to the bookshelf or the library and you opened a dictionary? And if you're like me, it became synonymous with Webster's Dictionary, Noah Webster's Dictionary. And so you still use those. But what we probably don't think through very well is that words evolve. Society evolves, words, words meanings evolve. But there's a foundation to everything. So there's called the etymology of a word. But what I have here in front of me is a reprint of the original Noah Webster Dictionary, 1828. Okay? 1828 reproduction. Now, let me read for you how Noah uses the word faithful in his dictionary, which what I read before would be words to it, but firm in adherence to the truth and to the duties of religion. But then he does this, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life, Revelations 2.2. Then he says, firmly adhering to a duty, true identity and loyalty. He goes through all these other things uh, And he says, truth worthy of your belief. And again, he quotes scripture, 2 Timothy 2.2. Do you see that? Here's what I'll point out to you. Words evolve. We have allowed the society to evolve away from God. We were eagles, but... We've been told to be turkeys. You can use a dictionary today and they're not going to use God's word as a descriptive and identifying what that word it means. But Noah Webster, back when the first uh, dictionary of his came out in 1828, uses scripture to define words and who we are. I think that's a real big thing. It shows where our society has moved away from what we were created to be into some falsehoods of what we're not. And so we, if we're not careful, we get balled into that. So when he used the word faithful, yes, Scripture uses the word faithful in some different ways and more intense ways than um, our society would do today. Faithful is way more than attending church. 
We could camp out here for a long time too. Because you say, well, I'm faithful. I go to church every Sunday. Good. Faithful to what? Attendance? If you're going to be faithful to attendance, that's something. But where's the truth in that? What does that mean? So faithful carries a lot more to it. In the Old Testament, um, they have something called the Shama. And the Shama was, you would know this, you may not know it as the word Shama, but it was a Jewish word. Shama was when they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is dot, dot, dot. That would be the Shama. And you find it all through Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is. And in their definition of hear, we lose it because, again, etymology and things have developed and society has changed. If I say, hear this, you think in terms of with your ear. You hear it. You heard my voice. You, you took it in. But in this case, hear, O Israel, carries not only that you hear it with your ear, but that you obey it. You have not heard it if you don't obey it. So you can be faithful, but not live it out. Are you faithful? If you're faithful to attendance, but it doesn't do anything, then what are you faithful to? So he's saying here, hear, O Israel. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, Jesus carries this thought through as well, because in Mark 12, 29 and 31, when they have asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't just hear me say this. It is go do it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Run after him with all that you have because he is worthy of that. And so when Noah Webster uses this definition also, it comes out of Revelation uh, 10 uh, 210B, he says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Wow. When we stay faithful, when we stay in obedience to God's word, not just because we went to church, but because we're obedient to what God's telling us or we're walking in God's will, even if it means death or all the way up to our death, we will receive the crown of life and we know that God's promises are true and always fulfilled. He cannot do that. So God's promised us these things. Man, there's so much here. That you're a part of the team and, and God's chosen you and all. So we're going to get to that. But in verse 3, he moves, or verse uh, 2, he starts out with grace and peace to you from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Peace. Man, we could again camp out just on this idea of grace that God loves you so much, He just gives you grace. When He looks at you, He sees you as He sees you, not as you or the world might see you. So He moves to verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out with praise. And we will see he uses praise three more times through this. And then at the end, he comes back to praise. God has laid a picture there that we're to praise him through all things and in all things. It's not a coincidence that when we come in here to worship, that we have praise and worship so that we can give back to God. Then we, 
hear the word of God. And then what do we do? We come back and praise and worship him again. Because God has called us to be a people of praise. To be one that expresses what God has done for us. Now I know this is going to go to meddling, but so what? Um, I grew up this way. Some of you are this way. You grew up in the, when you go to church and they stand up to sing... Is that your praise to God? Well, he said, well, you don't know how bad I sing. He said, all right, you're not singing to me, you're singing to God. And he thinks it's beautiful. I grew up in a church where you sat on your hands, you never would raise your hands or anything like that because you'd look like a charismatic. How dare you do that? And then I learned that God's emotional. He causes us to praise him, and it's not a stiff board praise him. It's a praise that comes from the depth of what he's done for me. And man, I'm like, hey, you know, raising your hand, you know what that's a symbol of? It's not just the whole Lord. It's I surrender. It's no longer me, Lord, it's you. But so many of us, because we're being faithful, we come to church, and then we just stand there during the praise and worship. And I'm like, man, if that's the God they have, I don't want it. My God did something in my life. He took me from being a turkey and turned me into an eagle. And because he did that, that's worthy of me praising him. That's worthy of me being a little bit emotional. I don't know, I've gone to meddling again. But if, if many of you are college football fans, and if you're a Georgia fan, you screamed and hollered at some TVs and went to some games and screamed and hollered because they moved this little pigskin thing up and down a field and Georgia won the game, and you'll do that, but you come to church and you wouldn't dare raise a voice for God. Which one matters in your life? Where's the praise and worship that you're giving freely overflowing because of what God's done for you? But if you're like me, you were raised, not putting down the church I was raised in because they gave me great biblical foundations of who Jesus was. But in some ways we practiced like a turkey because it was, and I had to break free from that and understand that God so loved me that he made a way for me when I couldn't. How dare I not give him my praise? And how dare I hold back because I'm afraid of what you guys might think if I was to raise my hand or shout. One of the songs we were singing talked about shout. You know what? I didn't hear a single person shout. Saw some people raising their hands. Saw some people standing there. I know it sounds like I'm chastising you, but look, I'm talking to myself. If God's so done this for us, how dare we not come and give him the best of what we have? What do you say? What has he done for me? All right, well, good. I'll show you. It's right here in Scripture. There's four main things he's done for you. First off, in verse 4, it says he chose you. Do you remember elementary school? When they went out to recess and they started to pick teams, oh, I hated that. If you weren't one of the most popular or if you weren't the most athletic, where were you when the teams got picked? 
at the end of the line. We'll take Brian. Nobody else will. Bless his little heart. He's a runt. You know, we'll take him. That's not what God said. God said, I want Brian. I want Melissa. I want Carrie. I want Michael. I want Ashley. I want Mike. He said, I want you. He picked you first for the team. He chose you. And because we still think we're a turkey, we're like, well, he wouldn't choose me. He sees an eagle and he chose you. You know what team you're on? This is terrible for a bunch of Falcon fans. You're on the Saints team. I knew they'd get a good one out of you, Carrie. Okay. But we, according to this, because he's called us to say, we're a member of the team Saints. And the owner and the coach and the trainer are God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're on this team. Not because you're good, because he chose you. When you were dead and full of your sin and your trespasses, he says, I want that one on my team. Shared with our singles a few weeks ago, and I'll use this illustration again, but it spoke to me. Back, you remember the movie, The uh, Miracle, when the, about the U.S. hockey team winning the gold medal? Well, there's a scene in that that is so precious because uh, when Herb Brooks, the coach, goes to get the team, he's got a committee to help him pick who's going to play on the team. And uh, they're all telling him, oh, you need that guy. He's the best. And that guy and that guy. And Herb Brooks goes, no, I want that guy and that guy. No, no, Herb, you don't want them. You need these guys. They're the popular ones. They're the really flamboyant guys. You need them. No, I want this guy and this guy and this guy. And he got his way. He told him, if you want me to coach, I'm getting to pick my people. So he picked his people. And so they go to have one of, they practice a little bit. They go to have one of their first practice games and it's against some foreign team. I don't remember who it was. And the U.S. team gets annihilated. I mean, just slaughtered. And after the game, uh, Herb Brooks, all those players are about to head to the locker room. He says, no, don't go to the locker room. Get out there on the ice. He makes them get back out on the ice. He gets them at the, the goal line. He says, all right, guys, we're skating sprints. He blows a whistle, and they all have to go all the way to the end of the ice, turn around and come back. They go back and forth and back and forth. He's blowing the whistle every time, and he, he calls out to one of them. And he says, who are you, and who do you play for? And the guy goes, Mike LaRuzioni, and I play for Boston College. He's so proud of that. Herb Brooks blows the whistle again, and they go down the line and back. Come back, they're wore out. He looks over at Jim Craig. Who do you play for? Jim Craig, and I play for Minnesota. Up, back and down. And he keeps doing this with all these players. They go back and down. They are wore out. They're turning the lights out in the place. His assistant coach looks at him and goes, Herb, what are you doing? This is stupid. Herb said, shut up. If you don't like it, get out of here. <laughs> and the guy's going, huh. He just keeps running on them and running on them back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, after a while, I mean, they're just about to drop dead. Herb looks over at Louisiana, Mike Louisiana and says, who are you? And he says, Mike Louisiana, who do you play for? The USA! And Herb blew the whistle and said, all right, boys, see you tomorrow. And it was over. 
Because see, they were playing out of their old self and their old team and had not connotated yet that they're on Herb's team, the USA. And once they realized they were not their old person, but they were the new person, they had a new identity, they were on a new team, and that came together, they became winners. They couldn't do it in and of themselves. They had to understand that they were chosen by this coach to play for him. You have been chosen by God to be on his team. He did not choose you lightly. He spent a lot of time choosing you. Second Peter 2.9 says, But you're a chosen generation, a, holy pre, a royal priest, a holy nation, his own special people. You may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God chose you. Guys, you got to get that. He chose you, but you're going to sit here and tell me, well, you don't know what I've done, or I was raised like these, a bunch amongst the turkeys and all that. God says, I see what you were created to be, not what you are. And many of us go through life living out of what we think we're supposed to be and what we're around instead of what we were called to be and do. God sees us as not perfect, but he sees us as holy and blameless. And we have a tendency to not see that. Second thing that God did for us in Ephesians uh, 5 through 6, 1 through 5 and 6, it says that he's adopted you. He adopted you. He chose you and he adopted you out of his own pleasure and will. Because he wanted to, he chose you, he adopted you. If something is adopted, it is no longer that. It is now a part of this family. You're no longer part of a turkey family. You are part of the eagle family that he created you to be. He adopted you. He paid the price. And right there is enough for us to praise him again. And you see that once uh, Paul starts down through this, he says, praise him. Now he says, praise him again. Why? Praise him. Because he freely chose you and he freely set you free by his grace. Again, another reason to praise him. Then in verses 7 through 12, he talks that he redeemed us. God redeemed us, that he let Jesus go and pay the price on the cross and die and be rose again to redeem you from something you couldn't make right. He redeemed you by paying the price. He let Jesus die on the cross. If I turn here in Webster's Dictionary to redeemed and how he defines it, very interesting in my mind. He's redeemed, ransomed, Delivered from bondage, distress, penalty, or liability from the possession of another. Wow. See, because when we were lost, we were owned by the enemy. But when Jesus paid the price and redeemed us, and you became a part of the team, yet the ransom was paid. You have been redeemed. You are no longer that. You're now this, not because of you again, but because of what God did for you and how much he loves you. And he freely loved you in this. So amazing. You know, it says here that he forgave you of your sins. He forgave you of your shortcomings. He forgave you of all your wrongdoings. And we know that in Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us in this room have fallen short of God's glory. 
yet he still chose you to be on his team. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserved, God gave us more. He lavished this on us. The riches of God's grace that he lavished on you, he poured out with all his desires to give you. We know in John 10, 10, it says the, key, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come to give it to you more abundantly. He came to lavish it on you. What did he lavish on you? Grace and forgiveness and the ability now to be a part of his team. So you've been chosen and you've been adopted and you've been redeemed by God. That's worthy of praise. It says the mysteries of God to made known us the mysteries of God. What's the mysteries of God? Well, the mysteries of God are that the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come as some king and come in riding on a white horse with crown and an army. And Jesus came in on a donkey in humility. So they missed the mystery of God because they expected one thing and God came in another way. So they missed it. But you have received the mystery of God because you have received Jesus. Verse 10 tells us that we're together under one redemption under Jesus Christ, that we are family here. So let's all act like eagles together instead of like a bunch of turkeys. And when somebody acts like a turkey, we don't beat them up. We don't spear them. We don't cook them up or whatever you want to use. We help them understand that you were created to be an eagle and you are an eagle and you've been raised by a bunch of turkeys. Verse 11, that you're chosen. The word predestined is used there. And that throws all kinds of things into people's mind. It really just means that God's plan was from the very beginning of time. From the very beginning of time, he predestined that he was going to choose you for his team. Wow. Thank you, God. Verse 12, he comes back to praise us again. Well, praise him. He chose you. He redeemed you. He's adopted you. Keep praising him. You can't praise him enough. And then what are you praising him for? He's marked you. And the word marked means to, uh, there's three different definitions of marked. There's to authenticate, which means when you sign a paper and you buy a house or a car or you're signing papers to um, create a business with a partner, you sign papers, which gives it authenticity and all. Uh, uh, makes it one and conveys the authority in that, that you are doing this. Number two definition of uh, marked would be marked as an ownership. And you've seen this when uh, a lot of times uh, farmers will take their livestock and they'll tag their ear with a number and a tag. It means these people own it. Or they'll put a brand on the animal. Uh, it means this is owned by this uh, ranch or whatever. So God has given authenticity to it. He's marks us that he's our owner and there's a security. So uh, many times if you were to send a package or a letter or something and you didn't, you want to make sure nobody else got into it, you might tie string around it and you, somebody gets the package, they know if the string's broke, somebody's been in it. Or if the seal, uh, they would put wax on an envelope and the king would put his ring signia into that and so they would know if the seal had been broken that the security was there but so God has sealed you he has given you a security he um, authenticates you he marks you as his own and he secures you by the Holy Spirit you go well the Holy Spirit what's the mark of the Holy Spirit glad you asked 
The Holy Spirit's mark is that he gave you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. And he also gifted you with the gifts of the Spirit that Scripture teaches us. So those become the guarantee of God's promises. That becomes our inheritance. So if you're no longer a turkey, you're an eagle, he's marked you with these inheritances that you get. Yes, we still live in a village full of turkeys. But you are an eagle, and you can soar, and you can do all this. So why are we praising God? We praise Him because He chose us. We praise Him because He adopted us. We praise Him because He's redeemed us. And we praise Him because He's marked us. That's worthy enough for me to shout and raise my hands and sing out and whatever else it is because He thinks that much of you and me. Land this thing. Isaiah 40, 31 says it this way. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They shall soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not faint. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord that we are eagles. Yep, we live amongst the turkeys. Don't live like a turkey. Live like an eagle because that is what you were created to be. Praise be to God the Father because you are an eagle. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never trusted in that, there's time today to become a part of his team because he is calling to you now. Come be a part of my team. I choose you. Be a part of the team. I'll be down here. Other people will be over here next to the next step signs while we sing this song of praise where you can come and you can give your life to the Lord. We'll pray with you if you've got other things in your mind, on your mind. If you want to know more about the church, you can come over there. But let's stand and let's praise God for what He has done for you and me. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com slash next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.